0: Prepared got tissues. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. for the season of spring and new life. We thank you that you are doing a new thing. Lord, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away, O God. Lord, as we entered into this sacred space this morning, God, make our unclean lips clean before you, Lord. King Jesus as the deer pants for the water. May our souls pant for you. Lord, may our hearts be desperate for you. Lord, this morning I want to intercede and cover our children. If you feel led uh, if you want to lay your hands on your children if you lift your hands toward them however you feel led um, as isaac in genesis 26 began to redig the wells of his father because the enemy had clogged them up god we want to begin to do the same through prayer and intercession for our future generations father we come into agreement as a unified body, and we reject the lies of the enemy over our children and our grandchildren. We speak life, not death, over them. We speak your anointing over them to be known as your sons and daughters, highly favored and called. God, we ask that you equip our future generations with the truth of the word which is alive and living and active stir in their hearts a burning for you to be so strong that they cannot contain it give them Holy Spirit boldness to speak truth unashamedly Lord may our desperation for you spread like wildfire God you've done it before Lord do it again and as it says in Isaiah 43 19 see I am doing a new thing now it springs up do you not perceive it I am the I am the great I am is making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. King Jesus, bust wide open the wells and spring forth rivers of rushing, flowing, living water. In our young generation, may it sweep across the nations in the name of Jesus. We agree and hold to this promise. God, you promised We are asking. We are desperate for you, God. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.
1: have the kids be dismissed to their time of worship upstairs. That's three years old through the fifth grade. If uh, Parents, you can pick them up upstairs after the service if you've already checked them in. And thank you all for joining us uh, this Sunday morning for worship here as we we worship a risen Savior, as we uh, focus on His Word together and seek to hear from Him as a gathered body. Um, In your bulletin sheet, there's a few things going on that I'd love to make you aware of just for a few um, minutes here. Um, First, we have this for members. Um, If you walked in and you are a member or part of a member family, there's an envelope on that table in the lobby with one of these with your name on it there. And the way this has worked out is we have every male member of the church um, as of the date that these were printed... Um, that was that is listed on this side of the sheet that you can see. And then on this side of the sheet is the biblical qualifications for elders uh, from two different passages, both of which we talked about in the fall. Um, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are listed there. Uh, we need you to turn these back in through the box in the, the lobby. You can put them in one of the offering boxes as well. Uh, we need these back by a week from tomorrow, Okay. So Monday March the 20th is when these are are due back so um, if you have them, if you're here this Sunday don't walk out this Sunday without one of these you can fill it out today you can take it home and pray pray through it and pray about who God would be calling um, on you to to um, to vote for to nominate as an elder. Uh, this is an important process in the life of a local church that is not led by any one pastor that is not um, that is is led by a group of men that we call elders of which I am one and as we serve together we seek to hear from the Lord as Jesus leads our church and the congregation leads our church. All of you have a voice into the life and ministry of this church so we want you to prayerfully consider who you would nominate in one of those offices and uh, we will let you know how that Process ends in a couple weeks, but those ballots are there um, for the taking, due back a week from tomorrow on March the twentieth. Um, also, this right here, you should have been given one of these on your way in. I really want to emphasize the importance of this. Um, we were talking this week, and there's, um, I was given the statistic that sixty-eight percent of Americans do not have wills, and we're in a journey. We're starting a journey today, in the Book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom, it's about kind of filling in the gaps, like we know, how to, we know how to define sin for the most part, we know what sin is and we know what is not sin, but then there are practical uh, situations in life when we need some practical instruction. We need to know how to live wisely in the world in which God has placed us. Um, this ses- session is a session of wisdom, and it is for our families, it is also for the community. In fact, I would love it if it is more for the community than even for our families. I want you to take extras of these. I want you to give them out to people that you know to encourage them to go. Uh, My mother-in-law came home last week and said, Jess, you need to do this. You need to go here. So she's already making an invitation to us. You go make an invitation to somebody else to emphasize um, what we want to do is we want to invest in our community. We want to serve our community. And this is a good way to just give some practical, wisdom-based instruction to the community, build relationships, build bridges, so that we can make disciples in our community. And we can share the love of Jesus by starting with some practical um, wisdom matters like these. So please consider whether you will attend and bring somebody with you. Um, We have an ongoing missions project offering. And that is to fund the showing of the Jesus film, in one of the most um, difficult places in the world, a place full of great despair as they continue to recover from all the buildings that have fallen over the last month in Turkey, from all that they still do not know how many lives were lost in the earthquake um, of over a month ago. And as people are hurting and grieving, we want to share the message of hope and the message of Jesus. And so I would encourage you to prayerfully consider how you could give towards that project. Our goal is for $7,000 to fund one showing on one TV station of the Jesus film over Easter weekend. And we would love to do that, to preach the message of the gospel into, um, into that difficult nation. A few other things going on, um, just dates for you to know. We have a men's breakfast coming up this Saturday. You can sign up either on the church app or in the, the table on the back. Um, we have baby dedications. We're doing it two different Sundays next Sunday, the 19th, and the following Sunday, the 26th, we will have baby dedications. If you would like to, if you have a child or grandchild that you'd like to have involved in that, let me know, and we can get them added to the list. Um, We have, I think, three more candidates for baptism that I'm going to be uh, meeting with in the the days and weeks ahead. We'd love to do another baptism service soon, so if you are interested in that, um, please let me know. And then finally, we have yard sale coming up on March the 25th, and that, the purpose of that will be to um, raise money for youth summer trips. Um, part of that will go towards this Romania trip that we have talked about for the last couple of weeks. We had a, a meeting about that last Sunday. It's not too late if you're still interested. Talk to Tom Perry today if you are at all interested in that trip. It's not too late to get an application and to, um, and to be a part of that trip. But for the yard sale, I'd encourage all of you to consider how you could give or how you could help with that yard sale to fund this important mission project. Um, We've had people back there working all week, um, organizing stuff. There's a lot of gently used stuff. The word gently is is generous. Um, We will take your stuff, and we would love to sort through your stuff. And if you could help sort through some of it and give us to it, like categorize, that's great too. But if you want to just bring stuff. We'll take it, and, and we'll use it to help provide for, um, for youth having gospel experiences either in this country or abroad or others, uh, the adults that are going on the mission trip as well. We will use this money to fund ministry. And so um, please prayerfully consider. Go through your stuff. Pray about it. Say, I don't need this. Give it to us. They'll sell it, and we can fund more ministry um, that way. We're going to start in the book of Proverbs, so I'd encourage you to turn to Proverbs 1. Before we start this journey in this new essential book, I'm going to pray for God to guide us. Father, speak to us now. In this gathered assembly, Father, humble us. Help us to see where our own wisdom and insight have failed us. God, I pray that you would give each of us practical applications of that even now. Show us where our own wisdom, education, understanding have fallen short of difficult situations we face even in this last week. Because the best posture to hear from you is a posture of dependence. And so, Father, give us that posture now. So that we come to your word, not as people who have it all figured out, not as people who are just looking for our minds to be stimulated by a message, not as people looking to be entertained by something interesting, but as people that are desperate to hear from you and to be led by you. Father, speak through your word today. Give me guidance, give me your spirit as I present your word To your people. Make it come alive. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in the scriptures there's this group of people. We know them as the Pharisees. They're not in the book of Proverbs. They're in the gospels. And the Pharisees are rules people. That's what they're known for. They know the rules better than anybody around. And they try to convince Jesus and his disciples of this. They present themselves as the experts on the law, as the experts on everything that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant Scriptures say. They know it. They've memorized long portions of it. They've defined the laws to the greatest degree possible, even in certain situations going beyond the written law to say, well, if we're really going to follow this law, this isn't clear enough. We're going to have to add all these other implications to it to make it more clear so that we can make sure that we're not violating it. What do I mean by that? They, they read in the Old Covenant Scriptures that you're supposed to tithe a tenth to the Levites for the ministry of the temple. They tithe a tenth of their income, sure. They also tithe a tenth of everything. The herbs in their garden, they go through and they harvest little, little twigs of mint and dill. And they bring those to the Levites and say, here, here's a tenth of the mint that I harvested out of my garden. And I need to be particular in my following of the law. So here you go. Then they would go and they would look at the Sabbath and say, God says you shall not work on the Sabbath. So how do you make sure that you follow that? They went so far as to see someone in need and refuse to help somebody that was in dire that it was in an emergency need situation saying, If I were to help this person, then that would be work. I would be violating God's command. So, sorry, person that is dying on the side of the road here, I cannot help you because I cannot work and so violate God's command. Rules people tend to look ugly. The scriptures make the rules people look ugly sometimes. Not because God doesn't care about rules not because rules aren't important, but rules in and of themselves. When you live as a rule-following person that is so rigid to the rule book that you must in every circumstance put the rule above all else, what often comes across is a grumpy person, an ugly person, a judgmental person. Paul deals with another category of people that are on the opposite end. These are the anti-law people, the anti-rule people. The fancy word for them is called antinomians, that they hate the law, they don't like the law, they don't think the law is necessary at all. These are the sort of people that, that Paul is talking about when he has to answer this question in Romans 6, should we, or, should, or Paul is in Romans 6 trying to convince them that the law matters, that the law is what guides us to Christ. And then he has to deal with these questions of do we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And of course, the answer is no. God does not now will for us who are saved by grace to just go on sinning. It is not God's purpose for us to be saved by grace so that we can show more and more grace and receive more and more grace. We just sin more and more. That's the question that Paul interacts with there. That's not the goal. And so we see that, There's problems with the rule-following people and the anti-rule-following people. God gives rules, no doubt. But God does not want us to be so governed by the rules. So, So indebted to the rules that we don't know how to even live, serve Him, love Him, and love others in a proper way. So there has to be another category of teaching that fills the gaps. Because just law doesn't get us to discipleship. Just law doesn't give us all of the applications, all of the implications for what it means to follow a life, or to live a life of following Jesus that truly honors him in each and every circumstance. Because we get the rules. We know what sin is. But sometimes we need a little bit more Because life is really, really complex. And there are questions that are not as clearly answered in the rule book. And we need some level of teaching instruction that gives us the insight to know how to navigate the most difficult challenges and situations of life. That's called wisdom. We don't just live off of rules. We need wisdom as well. So the book of Proverbs is an argument. An argument for wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a misused book. The book of Proverbs is mo- both underused by Christians who are saved by grace, who want, to be, who want to be driven forward by grace in our efforts. It's underused on one hand. It's overused by people that take the book of Proverbs and turn them into laws and promises. The book of Proverbs doesn't fit into any of our categories very well because Proverbs is a gap-filling book. Biblical wisdom is a gap-filling practice that we learn how to live in those gaps where the right decision to make, the right direction to go, is not abundantly clear. Because it looks like we're choosing between two goods, looks like we're choosing between two evils at times. It looks like we're choosing the lesser between two, uh, the lesser of two evils and trying to figure out what does God will for us in those situations. Any of those things, those are the situations in which we need wisdom. And that's where the book of Proverbs shows up. So I'll read to us this morning Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. And we're going to say, start here again. Because here's, here's where. there's There's an illustration throughout the book of Proverbs of a road, of a journey, of choosing a path. And we are going to today, and throughout the next couple of months as we look at Proverbs together, we're going to see ourselves, remind ourselves of where we are on that path. And we are going to see how choosing to start, sort of hit the reset button, on our Christian life to an extent and say, okay, I want a new beginning in Christ. I want a new beginning in how I follow Christ. I want new energy. I want new excitement. I want new new experience of the Spirit in my daily life. We all have those urges and we all have those those things that we want to search out for to, to enliven our Christian life. Maybe it's a new devotional, maybe it's a new conference, maybe it's a new uh, worship song, maybe it's an, a new church, maybe it's a new small group. We get in those stale moments in our Christian life and we think we got to bring it back somehow because it's like I'm starting to get to that point of, of not knowing what to do in my Christian life. My Christian life is getting stale. And I'm telling you, if that's where you are today, then I'm inviting you, start here again. Let's start over. Let's start at the basics. And let's just see what God does. See how Jesus guides us to wisdom. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the introduction to the book of Proverbs right there in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. Seven simple verses today. We'll unpack it this way. We'll ask the question, first, what is a proverb? We'll ask the question, why proverbs? Why this study of wisdom? And then we'll ask the question, where do we start? My goal today is to simply convince you to pursue wisdom. Because I think any of us want to pursue improvement. I think we, we like to pursue growth. If you're, if you're a parent you don't wanna be a worse parent, you wanna be a better parent. If you're a, a husband or a wife, you don't wanna be a worse spouse, you wanna be a better spouse. What, whatever your career is, you don't wanna get worse at it, you want to improve, you want to grow, you want to move in the right direction, and so I'm assuming that that's a common sentiment in the room here, and, and so we can then bring that to our life with Christ. So, so you believe the gospel, that's great. So that you recognize that that you're a sinner that has been saved by the cross of Jesus and you've now been given a new life with him by confessing your sins, accepting his, his offer, his sacrifice for you. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, you have been given new life with him. That is the starting point. That is the center of everything. And where we miss it in the book of problems is we forget Jesus is at the center of this one too. Jesus is at the center of the book of Proverbs. He is, according to Isaiah, the wonderful counselor. He is, according to to 1 Corinthians, the wisdom of God personified. And so as we look through this Old Testament book, we see the practicality of it, but what we often miss is Jesus. And so I'm asking you to join me in this study of Proverbs as we follow Jesus, and we see what Jesus wants from you. Have you ever asked that question? Where does Jesus want me to grow and improve? Where is God pushing me to be something other than who I am today, to grow? This is where the book of Proverbs can give us daily instruction, practical instruction. So what is a Proverbs? There's a couple ways to define it. We'll start with just saying it's a short, practical statement. Okay, We have, we have Proverbs in, in English language, little pithy statements that we remember and we learn something from. So that's one way to define it, just a short, practical statement, a simple statement that is generally true. That means it's not a promise. That means it's not a guarantee. Proverbs are neither promises nor prophecies. They are probabilities. What the book of Proverbs does is it doesn't tell you, if you do this, then God promises you he will do this in response. That's not the way a book of Proverbs works. The book of Proverbs says, if you do this, then the most likely result is this good thing. If you train up a child in the way he should go, then as he grows older, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise the the book of proverbs is not a book of promises that you can take to the bank and say but god you told me this the book of proverbs is written as wisdom literature to show us the probabilities of life it's a verbal picture of life and what i what i mean by that is you have is you have a statement a statement that paints for you a verbal picture of the way life works of the way life is most, of of the results that are most probable given a situation. And as you reflect on it, you look at it as a small little model, so to speak. And as you look at the model, you can see this verbal representation of some practical aspect of your life. By picking up a proverb, and turning it over and over, and looking at it from different angles, you start to see this is how life works according to God's desire and design. That's what we're going for. We're going to live according to the design that God has given us for ourselves, our lives, and the world that we live in. We want to live according to his desires. Um, Proverbs is God saying, learn and live. Whereas the world says, live and learn, right? The world says, go out, make your mistakes, learn from them, get better, improve. You learn by trial and error, you learn by making mistakes. God says, you don't have to make mistakes to learn certain lessons. But rather, if you open your eyes, open your ears, and observe the way life works according to God's design... God will give you practical instruction that will show you how to avoid those difficult life lessons that you sometimes have to learn by experience. Because, see, the world wants us to learn by experience, but unfortunately, experience comes with exceptions. Okay, Proverbs come with exceptions, too. I said, they're, they're teaching you the probabilities, and sometimes there's exceptions to those probabilities. But if you want to learn from experience... The real danger of trying to learn from experience is what happens when those exceptions come in. Let's say you make a dumb decision, not you, let's say me, Is that makes you feel better. Let's say I make a dumb decision, okay? And let's say I don't experience any negative repercussions for that dumb decision. What do I do? I feel like I can make that dumb decision again, right? Let's say you're a, a young person and you know that if you go to a certain party, you're putting yourself in a compromised position. There's risk there. There's, there's danger there. But then you come home from that party, and everything's okay. And you're like, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't that bad. Let's say mom and dad are telling you, hey, be careful, that group of friends. We don't trust them. You go hang out with them, and it's, and it's okay. The one time, you're like, okay, well, I'm, mom and dad say they don't trust them, but they seem okay to me. You are still making those difficult, destructive decisions, putting yourself in compromising situations, and because you didn't get bit that time, you start to think, ah, it's, it's all going to be okay. And maybe you were just the exception. I'm an extremely impatient person. You should know that about me. As an extremely impatient person, it makes me something else, somewhat of a bad driver. <laughs> Jess knows this. She questions me on it. Often, I'm the guy that likes to roll through stop signs. I know I'm the guy that can just be... D- I'm also always thinking about something else, which is dangerous. And so often, I find myself going a little bit faster than I should. But it's okay, right? Because I didn't get pulled over. I didn't get caught. That's what experience teaches you. Because you drove a little bit over the speed limit, because you rolled through that stop sign, and you didn't get caught, it's, it's okay to do it, Right? It was only a little bit dangerous, and there weren't any repercussions that time around, so then you push it. You push it more and more and more. Experience is a teacher. It's not the best teacher. We can learn. We can learn from experience. Don't get me wrong. There is some practical instruction from just trying things, recognizing that doesn't work. I'm going to try something different next time. But wisdom fills the gaps that experience lacks. Wisdom fills in the gaps to say, okay, I did it this way. It didn't work out well, but there was a risk in that. And maybe I didn't get hurt as much as I could have, but I'm going to do something different the next time. Experience teaches you to an extent. Wisdom teaches you to a greater extent. Wisdom teaches you how to learn from your experiences the experiences of others, and the experiences that God, by His grace, just protected you from. It helps you to see how to go with the grain of the design of God's created world and not to live against the grain. So why Proverbs? What is the book of Proverbs really seeking to do for us? Really, verses 2 through 6 give us the the practical instruction of what Proverbs is trying to accomplish. It's one simple goal. The book of Proverbs is here to make foolish people wise. And this is the first hurdle we've got to get through. This is why I'm I'm asking us the question. We're doing this together. Why are we studying the book of Proverbs? What does that first statement say about us as we study the book of Proverbs? We are foolish. It's It's a hurdle. I get that. Because we don't like to admit that. We don't don't want to lower ourselves to say, I don't have all the right answers, I'm foolish. The other thing, the the synonym for foolish in the book of Proverbs is simple. The book of Proverbs says something very difficult about you. It says you're a simple-minded person. I don't really like that. I don't really like being a simple-minded person. But that's what it says. It says it about me, it says it about you. It says that without the counsel that comes through Jesus and through the word of God, we are foolish people who are simple-minded, who need our simple hearts and minds to be instructed and enlivened. It's a really simple book. And it's a book of instruction, really, for the first couple of months. Here's how, we're gonna, here's how Proverbs is designed, okay? And here's how we're going to unpack it together. I, what I want you to do is I want you at some point over the next couple of weeks Just read through Proverbs 1 through 9. Nine chapters, okay? You could do that. I mean, do a chapter a day for nine days, okay? Proverbs, there's 31 Proverbs. Lots of people do that. They read one chapter a day for 31 days. It's a great way to intake the book of Proverbs. But right now, what I want you to start with is Proverbs 1 through 9. Nine chapters. Because Proverbs is organized in a couple of different ways. And the reason that we don't often, churches, preach on the book of Proverbs is that it's, it's organized in a way that isn't really great to preach it in a sermon series. It, the first nine chapters are easy. You can preach the first nine chapters and draw out themes from the different passages as they come through. But then once you get to chapter 10 through 31, it is super random. At least that's the way it seems. Because you read, try it. Try, read through 10 through 31. And see if you can discern a theme in each chapter. Because at one point, it's talking about, uh, about um, sexuality and relationships. At another point, it's talking about money. At another point, it's talking about hard work. At another point, it's talking about sleep. At another point, it's talking about just trusting in God. And there's all these different themes within one chapter that just ebb and flow all the way throughout verse, or chapters 10 through 31. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to go through 1 through 9, and we're going to see the argument for wisdom. And here's the unifying factor of chapters 1 through 9. 21 times the author, Solomon the king, uses this simple two-word construction, my son. Because Proverbs 1 through 9 is designed to be an instruction manual for, from a father to a son. Son, choose wisdom, don't choose foolishness. Choose hard work. Don't choose idleness. Choose a, a woman that is faithful and not the seductress woman over here. It is written from a father to a son as practical instruction, as sort of a discipleship manual for how you live a life of wisdom. Because if you've ever tried to instruct a young person, you know that there's only so much that rules can do. There's only so much, Jess and I have had this conversation as parents. There are certain situations in which you can give a child a rule, and they can understand the rule, understand the implications, and understand what they are supposed to do and what they are not supposed to do. But then there are certain situations in which you find yourself as parents coming up with rules that you don't think you should have to say. Because sometimes kids, they can't connect the dots. And you tell them, don't do this. And they're like, mm, mom said that I'm not supposed to draw on my table. But did mom say I'm not supposed to draw on my wall? No. No, that wasn't a rule. That, and, and there's just simple things like that, that. You recognize that if you just give people a list of rules, it's only marginally helpful. We need wisdom to know how to understand the character of this God that we follow. If if we are only focused on the rules and focused on do this and don't do that, then we are going to be continually, and I mean continually, broken. If we truly understand the complete holiness of the God who has given us these, these incredible Laws and rules that have shown us nothing other than how much we have fallen short. Rules people tend to be arrogant, but that's inconsistent because rules people should recognize how broken and how incapacitated they are by looking at the sheer holiness of the God who has set those rules. But then the the people that are against the rules, the anti-rules people, they tend to be really warm, they tend to be really nice. But they're also losing sight of the holiness of God, of the grandeur of a God who has revealed himself in his character through all 66 of these books, and wants us to live in response to him, in response to his character. And yeah, we live in response to his grace, and it's a beautiful thing through which we fall deeper and deeper in love with a Savior who has died for us, who loves us even when we sin. But if you want to live in response to the character of God, you need to learn what it means to grow and to understand more and more about who he is and what he is doing, what he is saying to us. The Hebrew noun proverb is a word that is related, um, is a word that actually practically means to represent, to be like. So a proverb is a statement that says, life is like this. That's all a proverb is. In um, the Old Testament, we see in the Hebrew language, the word for wisdom is used in other ways too. In fact, in Exodus 35, uh, the word for wisdom is used to describe skill of a craftsman. That you can have wisdom with a piece of lumber to create, to carve, and make something beautiful. In Proverbs, you see the word wisdom um, used to describe an artist um, utilizing a skill. You see the expertise of goldsmiths in Jeremiah 9 being called wisdom. Wisdom is a skill that allows you how to create beauty out of a raw life. In the tabernacle... Bezalel, the great craftsman, was called to create beauty out of raw pieces of wood for God's glory. You, as God's follower, as the son of God, a daughter of God, you are called to now create beauty out of the raw outworkings of your life. And wisdom is the skill that allows us to create that beauty and bring honor and glory to him. One of the things you'll see in the book of Wisdom, the Proverbs, is that Proverbs continually brings you back to the center. And at the center, you find God. At the center, you find Jesus. One of the mistakes we make, and everybody does it, so this is not judgmental glances cast at your neighbor time. This is recognizing who I am and what we all do. We're really good at segmenting our lives. We're really good at being good professionals when we're in a professional environment. We're really good at being good students when we're in a student environment, being good friends when we're in a social environment, being athletes in an athletic environment, being fun in a fun environment, and then we sometimes have to be Christians in a Christian environment. What the book of Proverbs does is it reminds you, no, 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 it's all centered around Jesus. Compartmentalization is foolish. To separate your life into different categories and not live out of the center of the Creator God in every area of your life is simple-minded. It's foolish. It is not the way of Christ. It is not the way of wisdom. It's one of the themes that we'll see. It's one thing to have the instruction that knowledge and study brings us. Wisdom takes the instruction and the knowledge and figures out how to use it in application. So when we say we are here to instruct simple hearts and enliven simple hearts, let me show you what that looks like, okay? So let's say you graduate with your degree and you, are, you have studied business and entrepreneurship, you know exactly how to start a small business, you know exactly what the community needs from you as you create this new service for the community. You've researched and you've studied. But then something comes up that is unexpected and you have no idea what to do. Because all of that instruction left gaps of wisdom and you didn't know how to apply that situation in the unique situation you find yourself in. Let's say... Your goal in life is to be a coach. Let's say you want to be a football coach and you come up with all these new plays and you train your team well and you practice them hard and you are organized in practices, you're organized in your plays, you're organized in everything, everybody doing exactly what they're supposed to do and then all of a sudden you get into the game and the other team throws you. Throws you something that you're you're not expecting. And your game plan, it just doesn't work all of a sudden. Because all that film you watched, they've surprised you. They've brought something different. And you don't know what to do. Knowing a lot about football does not make one a football coach. Knowing all the right plays, discerning all the right skills, having all of the information in your brain, it doesn't make you a coach. Because there are certain situations in life, in business, in coaching, in any aspect of life, where we don't just need the information, we need the application. We need how to take that information and apply it to the particular challenge we're in. That's why we're not just instructing simple hearts. We're enlivening simple hearts with the message of the gospel and the presence of Jesus jesus the wonderful counselor who guides us through that so let's look at at at, uh, verses two through six as they say verses two through six is is, this is proverbs in a nutshell super repetitive multiple different ways of saying the same thing but there's beauty there so don't get caught up in i feel like this is saying the same thing just with different words yes it is okay if you think that's what it's saying that is exactly what it's saying It's going to, what Solomon is doing is he's trying to convince you, simple-minded person, he's trying to convince you that you need wisdom. So here's the goals of the book of Proverbs from this simple passage. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. Verse 2, two different phrases that basically say the same thing in different ways. Verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion... To youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So here's the goals for the next few months. We need more knowledge to know more about life. Okay, that's that's right there. We want to know wisdom and instruction and understand words of insight. So, we're going for knowledge, okay? That's that's right there in verse 2. We're going for greater understanding, in verse 2 and 3, of how to apply that knowledge. You want to know more about what righteousness is? Verse 3 tells you you're going to learn that in this book. You want to know more about justice? You want to know more about equity? Verse 3 says all of that is coming right here in this book. Um, Prudence, verse 4. Prudence, what is it? Prudence is self-discipline through reason and instruction we get, we obtain more information about life we understand more about how to go from information to application and the result is prudence self discipline simple minded people like us we need knowledge we need prudence we need discretion we need to know when we say the right th- when when to say things when not to say things we need to know how to adapt in certain situations Proverbs brings us, so more knowledge about life, greater understanding of how to apply that knowledge, prudence, self discipline in life, guidance for the different complexities of life, and a greater understanding of God. That's, that's what we're in for here, here in the book of Proverbs. As we read through the book of Proverbs, here's a promise I'm going to give you. Proverbs is not about promises, but I'm giving you a promise, okay, just to make that clear. There will be things that will surprise you in the book of Proverbs. There will be practical instruction. If you, if you go here, and I mean if you go here like every day, then I promise you, you're going to start to be surprised at how practical something you read in the morning was for a conversation you had later in that day. You're going to be surprised at how some of the complex disagreements and disunity of the world that we live in today can be addressed through the wisdom of Proverbs. If we just humble ourselves, hear, receive instruction, and learn. See, the foolish person in Proverbs is somebody that trusts in his own answers, who ignores instructions, who wants to do his own things. But the wise person is described as hearing, receiving, receiving instruction, receiving correction, and applying what they learn. The worst thing that we can do in life is to receive instruction, receive correction, and ignore it. Those that give us instruction and correction, they do it for our good, for our benefit. A fool is the one that ignores that and goes on towards destruction. Okay, so here's the thing. Maybe I've told you, maybe I haven't. Maybe I've told you, I've at least told you that wisdom is desirable. So if it is so desirable then, why isn't everyone doing it? Why is it so rare to see people that we would describe as wise? Why is it so rare rare to see people that we would describe as disciplined, as as prudent? Because in verse 2, the word receiving instruction is actually, in some instances, translated discipline. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. That instruction comes with it a connotation of great discipline great work. I told you every one of us is simple and foolish. We're born that way. We have to work to become wise. It takes discipline to become wise. We get into that wisdom the hard way through the Lord's instruction and discipline. The Lord has to correct us. The scriptures have to confront us. Loving community has to to show us the conviction that the scriptures bring to us. The spirit has to direct us. It's not fun. It's often humiliating. It's hard to admit that we're wrong. But wisdom is about making progress and understanding our own uh, lack of information, our own lack of application, and our own lack of maturity. And so we make progress in wisdom to the extent that we are making progress in character. Wisdom requires character, because character says, I can learn from this person who's trying to invest in me. Character says, I may not have all the right answers. Character says, maybe I did surround myself with the wrong advisors, and maybe I did make some mistakes. Wisdom and character go hand in hand. So last point here, where do we start? In verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is contrast with despising wisdom and instruction. So I want to be clear here that one of the things that Solomon is doing that may not feel like it's happening at first reading, at first glance in English, that the fear of the Lord is a very different It is an opposite word of despise. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. We often see fear and despise going together. Like if we fear something, it means we despise it. But the fear of the Lord in the old covenant scriptures, and the new covenant scriptures, is a feeling of dependence. It's a feeling of awe. But it's also a feeling of love for Christ, of love for the Lord. It's not a cringing dread before the presence of God, as in, as, as Adam and Eve in the garden. Oh no, the presence of God is coming and we messed up. We have to be afraid. He's going to get us. No, Romans 8 tells us the difference between the spirit of sonship and the spirit of fear that leads to slavery. So we live in the fear of the Lord, but it's the fear of a loving father. It's the awe. It's the reverence. The desire to please and live in response to the great love shown by a father. And it's vehemently opposed to, in Romans 8, the spirit of slavery that leads us to fall back into fear. And so there is a way to fear the Lord in the spirit of a slave. And there is a way to fear the Lord in the spirit of a son. And fearing the Lord in the spirit of a son is openness to hear from him, eagerness to please him, humility to be instructed by him, willingness to turn from evil and change at his instruction, uh, willingness to surrender to his will, not my will but yours be done. It's how we live in love for him. It is how we live in response to one another. The fear of the Lord, as one author says, is, is when we realize I am not the judge of all things. I am not the measure of all things. I am the one being judged, being measured. We live in an age which allows us to judge and measure everybody else. and tells us that's okay. You decide. You decide for yourself. You come up with the answers for yourself. You discern. You judge. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is also embodied in a person who showed us what it meant to truly fear God the Father, to live in obedience to God the Father for the sake of a greater end, a greater goal. 1 Corinthians one thirty says that Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom from God. Isaiah 9 tells us that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, and the wonderful counselor comes in an age of information. This information technology age in which never ever before has more information been available at our fingertips so quickly and yet so often what information does, it just confuses us more. Every time we seek for answers through the information at our hands, sometimes it is harder and harder to find the answers. Because of all the contrasting opinions, all the disagreement, we get overwhelmed by the amount of information available and we think we just need a counselor to help us wade through this information. And that's Jesus. We start with the fear of the Lord, this awe-filled reverence, and Jesus is our guide through it. The fear of the Lord is, in verse 7, the doorway to this pursuit of wisdom. It is the starting point of the road that we embark on and Jesus is the one that guides us across the threshold that brings us to the starting point on the road on the road. We need Jesus to walk us through. We want something out of life and we want something out of life that only God can give us. We want we want wisdom, we want maturity, we want peace and we want hope and Jesus is the answer to all of those things. He is the hope For lives of despair. He is peace in times of war and disunity. He is love for those who have not felt love. And he is the wonderful counselor for those who have no idea what to do sometimes. That's who Jesus is. And this is the the road that he has led us on. But there's a problem. There's a problem in our foolish hearts that keep us from seeing wisdom and embracing wisdom. And I'm going to read you a paragraph from a devotional, a guy named Paul Tripp, that I felt he just said it better than I could. To sinners, which includes all of us, wisdom is not natural. It's one of our most profoundly important quests as humans. There are few more significant questions than this, where is wisdom to be found? It's hard for us to gain wisdom by research or experience because, They are filtered and interpreted by our own foolish hearts. Wouldn't it be great if you could find wisdom through research, through experience? That's what I want. I'm a researcher. I want to look it up, I want to study it. But every time we research, that research is then filtered by our own foolish hearts. It is here where the Bible greets us with a radical counterintuitive message you can't buy wisdom, you can't get it by hard work or even by lots of experience. No, wisdom is actually, in Scripture, the result of rescue and relationship. To be wise, you first need to be rescued from yourself. You need to be given a new heart, one that is needy, humble, seeking, and ready to get above what you can't find on this earth. Then you need to be brought into a relationship with the one who is wisdom. Colossians 2.3 says of Jesus, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and wisdom and knowledge. Think of this. The grace of God has connected you to the one who is wisdom. Grace has caused wisdom to live inside of you. This means that wisdom is always with you and is always available to you. So as much as we see wisdom as a road, we see that the only way we enter into that road is through rescue and relationship. We need to be rescued from our attempts to find answers on our own. and We need to be connected in a deeper relationship to the one who wants to guide us. So where do we start? Here's where. Here's your practical instruction for this week. Go to the book of Proverbs this week. See how Jesus, the wonderful counselor, listen, I know Solomon wrote the book, but I want you to read the book as if Jesus, the wonderful counselor, is guiding you to wisdom in your life. And I want you to be specific. Tell a family member, tell a spouse, tell a friend. Here's where I saw that the book of Proverbs actually gave me a surprisingly practical instruction for a problem, a struggle that I had this week. So yeah, we can practically apply this that way. But before we do that, maybe some of us aren't even ready to do that because we're still in the place of needing rescue. We're still in the place of being in such a severed relationship with God that we don't feel like we can go to Him for wisdom. If that's you, then start with the rescue. Start with the relationship. As the band comes up to sing, we are going to sing, we are going to proclaim something essential to this whole concept of wisdom, this whole journey of wisdom. We are going to sing That God, we're going to sing of God's holiness, of his grandeur. We're going to sing of the one who commands the hosts of heaven. We're going to sing of the one who has ultimate sovereign control over every one of our lives. And I'm going to ask you, as you sing, to desperately humble yourself. And in your heart and in your times with him this week, call out for wisdom. Because there's some question that you have. There's some application. That you, just, you just don't know where to go next. You don't know what the right next step is. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's vocational. Maybe it's family. But whatever it is, ask him. Ask him for wisdom and see what he does. For now, let's stand. We'll sing together.
0: Who else commands all the hosts of who else can make every king bow down? Who else can whisper in darkness? Tremble? Only our only God. What other beauty?
1: you have made a way for us to enter in to be called your sons and daughters to be welcomed into your presence family and eternal kingdom so father send us out today to lives of wisdom that represent you well in the challenges of this life that shine a light into our community so that others may see see our good works and glorify our father in heaven Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you.